Well, if you would keep your Bible open to Luke 2 or your program or your bulletin. We'll conclude our series this morning on the wonder of welcome, unlikely witnesses to the birth of the king. Um, the birth of the king, as we've said, is certainly worthy of our wonder. And uh, you would think, uh, as I've been saying, that only the well-to-do or the well-bred or the well-thought-of or maybe the well-put-together, that they would be the ones who were invited to witness the birth of the king of the universe. However, as we've discovered, uh, instead, God has invited people like us, um, people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who were um, wounded and waiting and weary from their woundedness and waiting. People like Mary and Joseph who uh, were told they were in God's favor, uh, but then their lives were wrecked by the coming of Jesus into their home. Um, and so they were fearful. Um, the poor and needy, Mary and Joseph, were poor and needy. The fact that they brought uh, two turtle doves or two young pigeons to uh, the temple when they brought Jesus uh, for their purification shows that they were poor. They couldn't afford a lamb. And so the law um, allowed for bringing of these two birds instead. So God welcomes the poor and the needy. The shepherds were poor and needy. They were overlooked and outcast. God invited them into his story. And then this morning, Simeon and Anna, also uh, old folks who are out of the public eye, uh, but they were waiting in prayer for God to send his Redeemer. And in this story, God, by his Spirit, gives Simeon uh, a prophetic vision of another group of people that God wants to invite to be witnesses, and that is the nations, the Gentiles, those who are far off, those who are even the enemies of God and God's people, strangers to God and to his family. They were invited to come and witness the birth of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so, let's pray as we look at this story together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this uh, time we've had over the last few weeks to think about your holy hospitality, how you have welcomed us into the story of Jesus by sending Jesus into our story. Oh, what amazing grace you have shown us. I pray now, this morning, God, as we finish with this story of Simeon and Anna, uh, that you would, by your Spirit, come and um, make Jesus be born in us again today. Um, help us to hear the good news about this Savior for sinners like us and to take him into our arms and embrace him as our only hope. Would you help all of us to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I imagine like you, like 
me and my family, you're enjoying the Christmas movies uh, these days. Um, what are some of your favorites? Real quick, tell me a favorite Christmas movie. Say it again. <laughs> White Christmas, one of my favorites. Die Hard, of course, another Christmas favorite. What? Elf. What was this one? Elf, yes. Uh, a Christmas Carol, Scrooge, yes. Christmas Vacation. Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay, so the Grinch, that's right. So there's so many favorites. Uh, now that I've got you all excited about Christmas movies, let me ruin your fun. Um, no, um, it's interesting, isn't it, that these Christmas movies, if you think about what, what's the basic lesson they're all teaching? They're all teaching that Christmas is about uh, how to make bad people good or good people better. Um, think about it. Christmas Carol. Three spirits come to Scrooge, who's this mean old, miserly, me-first-hearted, grumpy old man. Three spirits come and visit him and scare him into being good. Great. Uh, the Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Um, listen to uh, Universal Studios' description of their newest version of The Grinch. Which is funny that the Grinch was all about, you know, Christmas is all consumerism. And yet we keep making Grinch movies and selling them. No, this is what they said. The Grinch tells the story of a cynical grump who goes on a mission to steal Christmas, only to have his heart changed by a young girl's generous holiday spirit. Funny, heartwarming, and visually stunning, it's a universal story about the spirit of Christmas and the indomitable power of optimism. It's the Christmas spirit, right? And then Elf. What a, what a funny movie. So Buddy the Elf goes on a quest to find his real father, who turns out to be Scrooge and the Grinch, all wrapped into one. Uh, he's just a cynical, selfish, mean man. We learn in the Elf that Santa's sleigh only flies by the power of the Christmas spirit. There's a theme here, Christmas spirit. Uh, and so the way that you gen up Christmas spirit so that Santa's sleigh would, could fly is to sing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear, right? And so Buddy gets everybody to sing, and eventually Walter, his mean old Grinch, Scrooge-hearted dad, joins in the song and is transformed magically by Christmas spirit into a loving person. Um, I bring that up because I don't want this sermon series on being hospitable to folks that are unlikely, uh, folks we would welcome. I don't want this to turn into another Christmas pet talk. Um, I don't want us to, to sit here and say, okay, come on, everybody, let's just love each other. Let's just welcome one another. After all, that's what the Christmas spirit is all about, right? Christmas is all about holiday hospitality, isn't it? Um, no. Christmas is not about making bad people good. It's not about making good people better. 
It's about Jesus coming down because dead people need to be made alive. Sinners need a Savior. That's what Christmas is about. And so what we need is not another moralistic tale. What we need is the announcement of good news that Jesus came to make dead people alive. Um, The only way that we are able to show hospitality to the waiting and the wounded and the weary, to the poor and needy, to the overlooked and outcast, to the fearful, um, is if the Holy Spirit has come and made Jesus be born anew in us. Like Jesus said, you must be born again. Um, The Holy Spirit is the Christmas Spirit. And when he moves in, he renovates us to be people who make room for others, who need the very same holy hospitality that God has shown us. Paul said in Romans 15, 7, and I put this in your, in your bulletin. Paul said, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You'll hear Nathan say that every Sunday right before we have our welcome time. Welcome one another. How? Just as Christ has welcomed you. It's only because Christ has welcomed us that we can welcome others for the glory of God. Michael Horton said it this way, without Christ, we don't have hospitality in the world. In Christ, we are made part of a family, no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. All of those walls that tend to divide us are torn down, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We're all one in Christ, united in him into one family, and that only comes about not through sentimentality, which is often the focus of Christmas in our culture, but through the real, concrete, historical events of Christmas. Um, I, was, I was thinking this week back over these stories that we've journeyed through together. Um, it's interesting how each of these stories, if you kind of string them together, they actually give us a picture of what it takes to become truly hospitable people in the world. It's actually a picture of, of the Christian life in a nutshell if we look at these stories. For example, remember Elizabeth was child Her husband, Zechariah, was belief barren. They were barren. But God miraculously cured them both with a message of good news. We are all God-barren. We need the miracle of new birth that comes when the message about Jesus is implanted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story reminds us that we're all God-barren. Mary, as I told you a few weeks ago, has been known throughout church history as the Theotokos, which means God-bearer. Well, after we are born again, we become God-bearers. So we were God-barren now through Christ being born in us by the Spirit. We're God-bearers. And the life of Jesus, Paul said, is being formed in us. 
And Jesus, the son of God, who is also the son of Joseph, the carpenter, starts to come in and do his demolition and renovation because Jesus wants to live in us by his spirit. So those first two stories, we are God-barren, but by the spirit giving birth to Jesus in us, we become God-bearers, um, shows us what happens, uh, or leads us to the last two stories, which show us what happens to people who do that, who, who have Christ living in them. The shepherds, they were good news receivers who became good news givers. They received the good news, the message from the angels, the message of the gospel, and they received it in the low place of their neediness. And then they went to seek the Savior in the low place of their humility. And then they turned from there and shared the good news with others from the low place of the love that came down and was wrapped in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And we, then, who have received the good news, become good news givers as we wrap the love of Christ in our flesh and blood as we serve others. And so this story this morning, Simeon and Anna, is another illustration of what happens uh, to God-bearing people who become God-bearers. Simeon became known in the early church as the Theodokis, which means the God-receiver. It's because uh, it says in the story that he took Jesus in his arms. He received the Messiah into his arms. And so, like Simeon and Anna, we are, again, now we are God-receivers who become good news, we are good news receivers who become good news givers. Like them, we're filled with a vision that reaches as far as the nations, but begins near with our neighbors and the next generation. So, this is just my way of summarizing these stories together. All those who have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit were once God-barren, then made God-bearers, who become good news receivers, who can't help but become good news givers. So Simeon, the God receiver, Luke says, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So what did Jesus, uh, what did Simeon receive when he received Jesus, when he took Jesus into his arms? Well, Luke, Luke calls Jesus four different things. He says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Jesus is the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Uh, consolation means comforter. Jesus is the promised comforter. Uh, this idea of Israel's consolation was a key element in Isaiah's prophecy. It, what it refers to is the hope of, the, of deliverance for the nation of Israel. Actually, the rabbis would later refer to the Messiah. They didn't know who he was, but they would call him the Comforter because they saw him as the one who would bring this comfort to God's people. Isaiah 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, her sin is pardoned. 
what kind of comfort did they need? What kind of consolation did they need? They needed comfort to know that their sins were forgiven. Isaiah says again in 50, uh, chapter 57, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. This is God speaking. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. So Simon, uh, Simeon was receiving the consolation of Israel. Again, we aren't bad people who need to be good. We're not good people who need to be better. We're dead people who need to be made alive. We're sinners who need to be saved. That's the comfort that Christmas offers. And my question for us this morning is, do we believe that about ourselves? Is that the kind of comfort we're hoping for? Well, he was also, Jesus was also called the Lord's Christ because Luke said that... um, It was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. The Messiah, the Lord's Christ, is the one who would come to do what Adam had not done, what Israel had not done, what even King David, who was their greatest king, could not do, and that is be the perfectly obedient son and servant of God. And so the one who would be our representative had to perfectly obey the law of God in our place. That's why Paul says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that's why there's so much detail. You wonder, why all this detail about them being particular to obey the law of God? In those three things that they did that Luke describes, the They brought uh, a sacrifice for the purification um, involving Mary's purification 40 days uh, after the birth of Jesus. The presentation of Jesus as the firstborn from the Lord, that was, as Luke said, that was the law of God that must be obeyed. And beyond that, the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord's service, that was actually following um, Hannah's example of dedicating Samuel. Jesus was born under this law, and he, his parents were obedient to it. Jesus became obedient to it. He loved God perfectly. He loved people perfectly because we needed a Messiah who would do that in our place. You and I were made to be sons and daughters who love God and love others, but because of our me-first hearts, we can't. We need a substitute. And the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that you need someone to obey for you? Do you believe that's why Jesus came? Simeon also called Jesus God's salvation. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And that's what the name Jesus means. It means Yahweh saves. He's the lamb who takes away our sin. So not only did Jesus come to be the law keeper in our place, as we just talked about. He also came to become a lawbreaker in our place and to receive the penalty of breaking the law, though he'd never broke it himself. He became sin for us. He became a lawbreaker in our place. 
And that's why Paul says in Romans 8 that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus came to be the law keeper in our place and to become the law breaker, the penalty for our law breaking in our place. Do you believe that Jesus came to be condemned in your place? If so, then you believe the message of Christmas. And finally, Simeon said that Jesus is the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This gift, this Jesus, is for all people, for all nations, Israel and the Gentiles. Imagine how shocking that must have been for Mary and Joseph to hear. You want to talk about folks who are nationalistic. (laughs) The Jews had no dealings with Gentiles. And so for the first time, Jesus' mission to the Gentiles is is mentioned in his story. Jesus is God's gift to Israel, yes, but through Israel comes God's gift to all nations. Jesus came to do what Israel was called to do but did not do, and that was to be a light to the Gentiles. And so even here in this little part of the story, in Simeon's prophecy, there's a hint of what we see in Revelation, a preview of coming attractions where it says in Revelation 5, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We are some of those Gentiles. As one commentator said, uh, Simeon was singing a song, his prophetic song, about us that day when he he said that Jesus had come to be a light to the Gentiles. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that I'm a Gentile. That the only reason um, I get to know Jesus is because someone preached the gospel to Gentiles. It's so easy for us, so easy for me um, as a person who's known Jesus for 40 years to go, well, I don't know what everybody else's problem is. I'm glad I was smart enough to follow Jesus. That's just not the, that's not the story. He had to seek me out. And so because Jesus has welcomed the likes of us, we who by his grace have become good news receivers, now he wants us to become good news givers. Forgive the cheesiness of this, but Jesus is the gift that keeps you giving. Giving him away to other people. I'll close with this. Paul, Paul says in Galatians 2, this is, this is to us as Gentiles. He says, therefore, <coughs> excuse me, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh 
Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's a lot of hostility in our culture these days. Hostility between us and them. Fill in the blank. Hostility between us and other nationalities. Us and other colors. Us and other genders. Us and other political parties. Us and them. Us and them as Tennessee fans versus it's just hostility everywhere Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The good news about having peace with God through Jesus is supposed to go far to the nations, but it must begin near with our neighbors and the next generations. Robert Boyd Munger, who wrote, uh, you may remember this, little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. He used to say to his students, the closer you get to God's heart, the closer you get to what's on God's heart. This is Simeon and Anna. These people love God. You, that's, the story just oozes with their devotion to God. And so it's no wonder that Simeon's prophecy oozes with God's heart for the nation. When you get close to God's heart, you get close to what's on God's heart. What about us? Is our heart tender toward the nations like God's is? What do you, how do you think of people from other nations? We live up here on Signal Mountain. We all, I'm just looking around, we all look pretty much the same. We're not used to bumping into people from other nations. When Christine and I first moved to Dallas 25 years ago, we were um, from East Tennessee. We were amazed at how many colors there were at Walmart. How do we feel about people from other nations? It's easy when they're not represented here to forget them. Um, in the news or on our social media news feeds, the people of other nations are painted at best as potential consumers or customers. What can we export to them? And at worst, as enemies or intruders. This story made me check my heart. What is my heart toward? 
This has nothing to do, I'm not talking about politics or political uh, uh, platforms or, or programs for immigration or any of that. I'm just, I'm just talking about how do I feel about people from other nations? Remember, Jesus came to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. To welcome the nations as Jesus has welcomed you means the hostility between us and people of other nations must be killed. How? By remembering that we too were once strangers and enemies of God. That we're Gentiles, and so are they. But that he reconciled us to himself through the cross of Jesus. So we need to have, and we will have, if Jesus is born in us and is being formed in us, we will have hearts for those who are far. But we can start near with our neighbors and the next generation. What kind of uh, hostility is seen among our neighbors? (laughs) It's it's amazing. Spurgeon said this. He said, it would have been a pity for Christ to have been received in the temple by only a man. There must be a woman there, too, to join in Simeon's swan song and to unite her testimony with his, so that the song of Simeon was sweetened by the voice of Anna. And they both rejoiced in God their Savior. The hostility between men and women must be killed. Because Jesus came down in humility at Christmas, we can, as men and women, humbly serve one another in love. And we can show the world not hostility between the genders, but hospitality because of Christ. What else about neighbors? Simeon and Anna were elderly. You know, elder abuse is becoming something that has to be dealt with more and more in our culture. And we may not, none of us may be guilty of that, but what about ignoring the elderly? The hostility between generations can only come to an end through Christ. We could go on about our neighbors. But what about the next generation? Anna and Simeon were at the end of their lives seeing the fulfillment of God's promise that had been passed from generation to generation to them. And now, surely part of their joy was knowing that the generations to come would, on, would not only know the fulfillment of God's promise, but that they would also see the far-reaching impact of that fulfillment, that Jesus had come. Part of their joy was not just seeing Jesus. Part of their joy was knowing what that meant for the generations to come. They only knew the beginnings of the story of Jesus, but the generations to come would know the full story of Jesus. And so here we are this morning.
because it has been passed from generation to generation, you and I know the story of Jesus and we live in it. So, what will you do with Jesus? Will you receive him? Will you give him away? There's a prayer book that I love called The Valley of Vision. And this is what one of the prayers says. I'll close with this. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to heart. Embrace him with undying faith. Exulting that he is mine and I'm his. In him you have given me so much that heaven can give no more. Father, in Jesus, you have given us so much. People who were aliens to you, strangers to you, enemies to you, you have given us so much. There's nothing else you could give us. And so would you make us people who, like Simeon, take Jesus up in our arms, and are so full of the gift of who he is that we can't help but overflow and give him away to the nations and our neighbors and the next generation. Would you do that by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.